Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com. You're listening to Move Forward Radio, a podcast featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts with advice on how you can move forward. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. If you're into surfing, or even if you're not, you may well have heard of Laird Hamilton. He's ridden his way to heights of fame as a big wave surfer. He's also known as a pioneer in and advocate of action water sports, as a fitness and nutrition expert, and as a philanthropist. You may have seen him appearing as himself on a TV talk show with Conan O'Brien or Ellen DeGeneres, or incognito as a stunt double in a movie featuring surfing, like Point Break or The Descendants. And as if all that isn't enough, he's also the husband of volleyball legend Gabby Reese. The self-acknowledged adrenaline junkie took time out of his peripatetic schedule recently to talk with Move Forward Radio about his life and career and all its figurative and literal ups and downs, as well as his personal philosophy and what he wants listeners to know and understand about movement and how best to maintain an active lifestyle. Let's listen in as Laird Hamilton talks about what drives him to excel. So, Laird, the, the bio on your website starts by noting that you're, uh, quote-unquote, best known as an American big wave surfer. So first, what does that mean? What makes a wave, quote-unquote, big? I mean, I think it's, that's a relative term depending on your skill. But when you're kind of a skilled professional and you've been surfing, you know, your whole life, I mean, big starts to become relevant when we have, you know, what we call 15-foot surf and bigger in Hawaii, which means, you know, 30-foot faces. And a big part of that has to do with just not a lot of people are exposed to that type of, of surf uh, in the world. So besides the, uh, the size of the wave, what's different between traditional surfing and uh, big wave surfing, if you will? I mean, I assume the, the danger increases with the size of the wave and that there, there must be logistical challenges to finding big waves and, and getting on them. But for, from a purely athletic standpoint, it, it's got to be more physically challenging to ride a big, a huge wave too, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously a big part of the physicality of riding big surf is, is being able to take the punishment to be able to survive the impacts. But a real factor in big wave riding is the psychology more than anything. I mean, I think that, you know, at a certain point, all the athletes are in physical, you know, great physical condition. Be able to actually surf well, you need, you need to be in good shape. So, you know, a bigger factor really becomes the psychology behind it and, you know, your ability to be in those more stressful environments and, and kind of make the right decisions and all those things. I think that's the part that starts to separate people. Well, can you talk about that psychology and sort of how, how you developed that and over what period of time did you, did you need to develop that? For myself personally, because I grew up at the beach and I grew up at a very aggressive beach, you know, I was exposed to life-threatening situations in the ocean from an early age. And I think that process of growing up in that environment, you know, and that exposure to those extreme conditions kind of gave me a pretty good disposition to be able to keep evolving in, into more and, you know, bigger and bigger and more kind of dangerous uh, situations. 
Well, that's interesting. You used to say life, life, you've been in a number of life-threatening uh, situations from, uh, from an early age. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how young you might have been when you uh, encountered the first of those uh, life-threatening uh, situations and, and sort of uh, walk us through how you reacted to that at an early age when, you weren't, when it was new to you, though you weren't used to dealing with such a thing? Well, I, I would say I was exposed very early just because of the nature of where I grew up. I grew up on the North Shore of Oahu at a place called Bonsai Pipeline, which would, which at that particular time was considered the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous beaches in the world, and and people drowned there quite often. And like I said, you know, earlier, you know, a lot of that has to do with your perception of danger. You know, it, it can be, if you don't think it's a dangerous situation, even if it is, it really doesn't have an effect on you and if you think it is and even if it's not it has an effect on you and so the fact is is that uh you know i was you know i'd say five five years old uh maybe maybe earlier you know swept out to sea in the current and get rescued uh by lifeguards you know i think i started to do that you know early i mean i would say four five you know possibly even before that uh where i was caught in the current and had to be rescued and as a young person, you know, and being overwhelmed by the ocean, felt that that was a great threat. And, you know, I, I describe it a little bit like watching a scary movie. You know, when you get older and you watch scary movies, they're not nearly as scary, uh, you know, but when you're young, um, scary movies can be devastating. And so I think those kind of experiences at the age when I had them had a profound effect on my kind of, I would say, fear coping and you know, other kind of attributes that, that led to, to uh, you know, helping me in, you know, become a, a big wave rider. But there was something about you that uh, that made you keep wanting to, to go back in. And, and, and by the way, I'm just wondering how you got your, your parents to allow you to go back in if you had those kinds of situations so early in your life. Well, you know, I, I think a lot of it was much to, you know, my mother's will to keep me away, I, I just was, was, you know, was incorrigible and was drawn to the ocean. I would escape, you know, out of my room and go there, and we lived right there, and so it was a little, it was pretty difficult, you know, other than, like, chaining me down or something, uh, you know, now they have body harnesses. I mean, you know, I, I don't <laughs> You know, my mom was, was trying her best, but I, I think my will and my desire to be drawn to the ocean was much greater than her ability to stop me. You've surfed at a, at a very high level, and no, no pun intended, for, for, for decades now. Your sport is, is very physically demanding and also, as you say, very dangerous. I assume bumps and bruises are, are all kind of part of, the, part of the routine, but beyond those, how, how often have you considered yourself to have been really injured over the, over the years? I've been hurt more than I could count. I don't really have a number. I just, I mean, I, at one point, I think I had a thousand stitches in it and had not had an operation up until then. Um, you know, a lot of, you know, unlike motocross and some of these other extreme sports where you break bones a lot, ours is a lot of wounds. I've had, you know, just an, an array of injuries from somewhat being scalped to punctured face, broken eardrums, broken shoulders, ribs, and torn, broken, punctured, cut, scrape, you know, you you name it, I've I've had some version of it, and it's just become part of who you are and and, and something that you, you learn to, to live with and learn to recover from and not allow those things to deter you 
from continuing on. I think that's been a big part of my evolution is my ability to kind of overcome some of these experiences and be able to go back out again, getting back on the horse. And, you know, I've had situations where I've broken things and or, or hurt myself in a way that I was going to be out. But, during, you know, at that moment, I was able to get catch another wave and, you know, at least leave with the, the kind of the mindset that I could, that, that I was still going to be able to do it or, you know, that, that, it wasn't going to be something that kind of, uh, you know, encumbered me from being able to continue on. So there's been a, but you know, the, the fact is, is that all the injuries that I've experienced have really been a big contributor to my evolution uh, in my in the understanding of my body and in, in my, you know, in my motivation in kind of the process of understanding why I do it and all of those things. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your process for for dealing with all the the various injuries that you've uh, that you've been kind of chronicling here. Uh, in a previous episode of this uh, podcast, your your wife, uh, the the volleyball legend Gabby Reese, uh, talked about the dangers of having a kind of a, a quick fix mindset to pain and injury. She said that uh, the quick fix idea is is fun and really marketable, but it's 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 not particularly realistic. Now now you don't seem to me like the kind of person who likes uh, to be to be blunt about it. You, you don't like to slow down. So how do you balance your desire to push forward with your, your need to kind of properly uh, take time to take care of yourself? Well, I, you know, I mean, I think that's an ongoing process that I'm continuing to learn. You know, I'm continuing to try to understand how to, to govern, you know, when it, when it inhibits you and when it be, undermines your performance or undermines your recovery. I think there's a line, you know, there's a fine line between going too far and, you know, having a negative effect and then also continuing to move while you're hurt in order to heal quicker. And so, you know, what's interesting, when I was when I was young, you know, you'd break a leg and they'd put a cast on you and tell you not to do anything. And then now you break a leg and they might not put a cast on you and they want you to keep moving as much as you can. So, um, I think there's, I think our understanding, you know, in general has changed just in medicine alone, not just me personally. And, you know, my continued movement throughout the process, you know, at times has prolonged things, but most of the time is actually, uh, kind of promoted and, and increased, uh, the time in which I've healed. So I think you have to listen, you know, to your instincts. I have to, you know, you listen to your body and, you know, you go too far. You're like, oh, that hurts. There's good hurt and bad hurt, right? So it's being able to differentiate between the two, you know, what's damage that's good and what's damage that's bad and, and, you know, and knowing where that line is. And, you know, I think the relationship that I have with pain and and with injury um, has given me a a decently fair understanding of of that line and, and, uh, and how to be supportive, you know, to an injury. So in a real sense, you kind of learn something from every injury, ideally at least. Always. I mean, you you learn more from failure and injuries than anything. I mean, successes and achievements are great, uh, but, but they teach you nothing really. You know, part of it is because you don't really analyze things after you succeed like you do after you fail. So, you know, injury is a, in a way is, is, a, uh, is a form of failure. Um, there's a, there's an aspect of injury that, that is some failure somewhere in there. Something failed, either the body part failed or, or the right decisions, you, you know, were part of the failure or whatever, it, whatever it was. And so through those process of failure and injury, when I put those kind of together, because failure is a form of injury and injury is a form of failure, um, you know, you, that's where the learning 
begins and, you know, you either, you know, kind of enhance your performance in the future or, or your understanding of how, you know, to be in better condition and better shape or, or just, you know, be better at recovery and healing. A quick break to tell you about Choose PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national public awareness campaign. America is currently in the grips of an opioid epidemic. In some situations, dosed appropriately, prescription opioids are an appropriate part of medical treatment. But opioids only mask the sensation of pain, and opioid risks include depression, overdose, addiction, and withdrawal. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is urging healthcare providers to reduce the use of opioids in favor of safer alternatives like physical therapy for treating pain. Learn how a physical therapist can help you at moveforwardpt.com slash choosept. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. So uh, another story that uh, that Gabby talked about on this podcast was about how you had hip replacement surgery and she had knee replacement surgery on the same day. Uh, she described how she very intentionally avoided opioids after discharge from the hospital uh, during that podcast. What are your memories of that time when you were recovering from your surgery and how did you regain your strength and mobility after your hip replacement? I mean, in all honesty, that was her idea to do it on the same day. I thought that was crazy because I was, <laughs> we're both going to be incapacitated. You know, you, you you got your knee, I got my hip, we're going to be laying around. But she thought it would be good for me to, you know, because it would it would help me because the hip replacement process of recovery is a little faster than, than the knee. But the fact is, uh, in that process, I learned quite a bit. I, I went in training all the way till the surgery. And then I started immediately thereafter, um, and so I was able to not miss a, a beat. You know, it felt like I got kicked by a horse for two months um, as far as a Charlie horse. But, you know, the one thing that I learned from that particular surgery, and, and it was something that I had known, but, you know, that any any form of pain suppression at all, any type of pain suppression will delay and slow the healing and the greater the suppression of the pain, the more the healing is slowed down. And so, you know, I, I uh, was very conscious to, you know, I was able to actually stay conscious for my surgery, so I didn't get, you know, I didn't get put out, which means I didn't have to recover from that. Um, I didn't take any pain meds, so I didn't have to recover from that. I didn't use ice, in fact, because um, I was made aware of that ice impeded the healing process as well. And so I, I kind of had to deal with some more intense pain issues. I did use a, a stem machine to help deal with the pain. One of the things that I learned in that process was that the movement that we have and the discomfort that we have when we're hurt is is, is a functional process of the body not being, first of all, not creating any kind of stagnant blood, but also to not create any kind of scar tissue around movement patterns. And so... The, the reason why, you, you know, you move a lot when you're hurt is because the body is, is, that's what the body does to help itself heal. And so, you know, it, because none of these things that we do are for no reason, right? I mean, if you have pain, it's for a reason. If you're moving when you have pain, it's for a reason. I mean, these, these, these processes that are, that are naturally uh, evolving processes from evolution or from, you know, from living, they serve a function. There's no... There's nothing in nature that doesn't have a specific function when you really, you know, truly understand it. And so, uh, you know, that was, I think for me, that was my epiphany um, uh, along the way. 
um, was was that it and, and and not so being that I was able to kind of deal with that whole process, the movement, the discomfort, the pain, and then go as immediately as I could into you know the pool and other environments that allowed me to move more aggressively. Um, kind of in a more protected environment, you know, that that sped up my healing in a crazy way. You know, within a month, I was doing things in the ocean, and within two months, it was like, I mean, you know, three months after that, you know, it was like nothing had happened. And was that well ahead of the uh, timeline that you'd been given? Oh, it was more, it was triple. It was like, I think it was triple the speed. In fact, the, the surgeon um, said he came specifically to my to my home where I do a lot of the work on the recovery um, and and so that he could better understand what I was doing because he he is the people that do the you know the PT work for him and all this the patient care stuff they were they wanted to know specifically what what I was doing uh, because of the of the you know of how quickly I was able to recover and regain my ranges of motion and and all of that and so um, yeah that was they were mm-hmm. they were interested in that in that process and you know the fact is is that that I, that's something I, that I'm I'm become pretty good at I mean and, you know like I it's 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 you know I always call it the, it's like an underappreciated art but uh, you know recovery can be equally as important um, and in some cases even more important than performance. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you mentioned uh, PT in there. Well, one thing physical therapists are passionate about is, is not waiting until you have an injury to be mindful about fitness, mobility, strength, flexibility, really all those things that, 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 that uh, allow people to pursue their passions in life. Uh, you and Gabby founded something called XPT for extreme performance training with the idea that high performance, quote-unquote, fuels a limitless life. What motivates you to not only maximize your own health, but to encourage others to do the same? First of all, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So, I mean, what motivates me, you know, for myself in a selfish aspect is to feel good and to continue to be able to perform at the highest level in whatever activity I so desire. And what motivates me to share is the enjoyment that I've received and, and, and you know, and, 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 and a sense of responsibility to share uh, with people things that I've learned from other people, uh, you know, much smarter than I am, you know, than the things that I've learned that I've been able to benefit from. I feel obligated to, to share that with other people uh, so that they can have that same experience because I think it's, you know, I think it's everyone's uh, right to uh, enjoy a healthy life. I think that we're 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 all we all should be able to enjoy a, a healthy life, which would allow a lot of people to be happier. Um, you know, get, listen, there's so many things that that we don't have control over that we're that are inflicted on us that that we have to go through. Uh, you know, pain and suffering in the, in the world, but there is some factors that we can participate in that can you know help uh, help us either deal with those those processes or just you know enjoy feeling good and doing things that we love to do and and all and those things. So um, you know, I, I feel like it's an obligation to share it with people. I, I feel that uh, you know I've been so fortunate to be able to spend so much time. And energy in this 
feel given, you know, my lifestyle and because of the, you know, the, the way that, that I've been able to, to earn a living and, and because of my body is, is, is part of my business, um, you know, I, I've been able to kind of focus on that, which has allowed me to kind of maybe go through some processes and experience some things that other people that aren't so fortunate, you know, don't have the time to do so I can maybe, you know, help them with a little shortcut. People presumably tell you um, that, uh, that they find you inspirational and find your example inspirational. Uh, do you find the things that people tell you that you uh, kind of uh, anecdotes and uh, encounters that you pick up in your travels uh, that, uh, that that kind of inspire you as well? Well, I, listen, I, I think I'm inspired by, you know, I, I'm inspired by. Uh, you know, learners and and people that are into learning. I think that's, you know, I get a, a lot of inspiration by people that are constantly searching and seeking truth. You know, I think that for me is that's inspiring, and I don't care who it is. If if there's somebody seeking truth and constantly learning, it means they have a lot of knowledge. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so I, I'm 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 always inspired. Uh, you know, I'm inspired by my wife. I mean, my my wife is an is my partner, and and she's she's an inspiration to me. And I have friends that are inspirations to me. And uh, you know, I, I but I but I am inspired by people that are constantly trying to learn and constantly trying to evolve and constantly trying to get better uh, at at things that they're already good at or things that they've never tried. You, you, it's, it's interesting. You, you talked about your, your wife inspiring you. Can you can you talk about that a little bit more? The, the ways in which you, you find yourself because she's involved in very different athletic pursuits than you are. Well, I, listen. I think part of the, my inspiration is that I look upon her in awe because of the of 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 the ability that she has to to do all the things that she can she does and and do them in the way that she does. It, it, it's so. Sometimes from my my uh, position, it's so foreign. It's so it's so, and I and I look upon it with you know with in awe, like and and in, in with great uh, respect and appreciation. Um, just because it's it's you know it's 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 just not how I how how I go how I do things and how what how I look at things. And so um, you know I think that that's a it's it's pretty it's it's an inspiring thing to see to see you know the way her 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 diligence and her her discipline and you know and 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 all of the things first of all that she's able to do and the way she does those things is you know coming from my you know from my kind of caveman view <laughs> it's, it's it's so it's so it's foreign but it's but I'm thankful because if it, she wasn't doing it, um, you know, I think the whole the whole uh, castle would be in array. <laughs> Does that mean, in a sense, there's kind of a little more method in her madness than than maybe you feel like there is in yours? Yeah, I, yeah. Well, and, and uh, definitely, the, and a lot more versatility, a lot more variety. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm kind of you know. I'm like a one dog, uh, you know, a, a one dog hunter, you know, like I'm uh-huh. like I got one track, I'm <laughs> one thing and I'm just and and I and I my relentlessness for that I think it must be obnoxious to her. <laughs> um but I don't really have a choice. I'm just I'm my I just have a relentless pursuit for, you know, for monogamy. I mean, you know, my 
my my thing is so uh, you know it's so so singular and and hers is hers is is got so many layers to it and she's got so many things happening and at, at once it's it's um like I said I think I would be overwhelmed uh but then I think I over I would be you know my 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 form of pursuit is overwhelming to her and she looks over at me and just is in awe of my thing. So I think that's why, you know, that's why it works is because we mm-hmm. both look at each other kind of from our side of the room and we're like, wow, how's that going over there? <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, right. Well, Laird, when we first started talking and I was asking you a little bit of uh, uh, some questions about your, your childhood and your early experiences and, and, and getting uh, hurt and having uh, uh, experiencing danger and so on, and, and you, you, you labeled yourself, this is a word you used, that basically that you were incorrigible. Uh, so I've seen interviews in which you reflect on being a dad and, and um, you emphasize the importance of, uh, of, of not being reckless for your parents' sake, for your family's sake, rather, as well as for your own, and also the need to be true to yourself at the same time in your surfing and your other athletic pursuits. So what advice would you have for listeners for successfully balancing safety and prudence with a, a wild side, if you will? Um, you know, should they have a thirst for adventures that, that maybe pose danger? You know, it's interesting that you say that because I said to a friend of mine, you know, yeah, you just need to, maybe you need to, you know, have some adventure and have some danger, but then, by, but don't put yourself at risk. He was, he was like, well, how do I do that? And I go, well, there's quite a few ways. I mean, you can stand at the edge of a cliff and look over, and not jump off. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you can you can be in the in the proximity of a, you know, of a, of a of a of a giant fish and still experience everything, but not be you know within its grasp. I mean, it's, there's ways to do things, and you know, there's there's you know, you you can. You can, you know, you can uh, speed in a, in a in a race car in a racetrack with all the race gear on uh, and be okay, uh, you know, versus you know with a car with bald tires on a road with a cliff. I mean, you know, there's ways to there's ways to kind of you know have adventure and and take risks and have and experience adrenaline and fear and all of these emotions that I think can be so healthy for us uh, at, at times or and actually quite frequently. You know, in small doses, I think it's very natural for us to, and it actually creates some balance in our system uh, when we do that. But you know, it, part of that challenge is finding those outlets that, but they're not, you know, so difficult to find. I mean, you know, sometimes if you just almost drop a glass and you thought it was going to break, but you caught it and you get a jolt of adrenaline, and it wasn't like that was such a life-threatening situation. There are ways to to cultivate that, and I think a big part of that is you just have to. Uh, you know, you have to look for that, the, that that thing that works for you that you can expose yourself to to bring yourself those sensations. I think that's something that maybe all of us have a, a, an obligation to try to do. So, Laird, you're you're what uh, 54 now? Is that right? Yes. You've been uh, doing this for a long time. Uh, so, I, I guess my last question to you is, uh, what's what's next? What's left? What 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 goals do you are you still chasing? We always like elusive goals that when you get too close, they move. But, you know, there's a famous saying, never let your memories be bigger than your dreams. And I I think that I, I still dream. You know, I, I have uh, certain pursuits and certain, certain things that I, I love to do. And, uh, and and the big ocean is, is I, I have a feeling, will be a part of, uh, of things that I will do as long as I'm, you know, here uh, on the planet. Um, 
you know, so I, I have some, you know, some some desires and some kind of, I don't say goals, but some achievements in mind that that pursuing in in big in in forms of big wave riding. We do a lot of, you know, I, I'm in, you know, we do a lot of stuff in in health and wellness. I really I, I really like innovation and and invention. So I'm always, you know, Thomas Edison once said, you know, all you need to be an inventor is an imagination and a pile of junk. Um, so I have a pile of junk and a small <laughs> imagination, and that leads me to kind of some ideas. And you know, I, I I really enjoy that that aspect, and I think there's a real fulfilling aspect to to to, to a creative person when you can you know invent things or, or or you know create hybrids or do you know something modify something. I mean, there's I think there's some, and whether it's in you know health and wellness or or in some sort of spirituality. I mean, there's so many different directions to go. I, I just think that, you know, if that learning really is, 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 is what I'm interested in. And, and, and that, and there's a physical aspect to that. There's a, there's a, there's an emotional aspect to that. There's a mental aspect to that. And so I, I think that I, um, I, I think that my pursuit has to do with those things and and you know and 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 really there's no end in sight. I don't think you can ever you'll never be able to to get to get to any 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 uh you know end to any of those those lanes and so I just it, you know you just continue on and and see where they take you. Laird Hamilton, thank you so much for speaking with us on Move Forward Radio. My pleasure. You've been listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or find previous episodes at moveforwardpt.com. Move Forward Radio is brought to you by moveforwardpt.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at moveforwardpt.com.